for all of your TNA needs, head to tensandaces.com. One of these losers in Las Vegas who keeps thinking he's going to come up with a way to win at Blackjack. Are you ready for some TNA? Welcome to TNA, the Tens and Aces podcast. A podcast with true-to-life stories and experiences from advantaged players in the game of Blackjack. From pros crushing it and making a living counting cards, to newer players who are just making their way through all the ups and downs of what can be, at times, both an equally frustrating and beautiful game of AP Blackjack. Is this the kind of thing you want to hear? Well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. Here's your host, Mike AP. And welcome to the show today. As the man just said, I'm your host of this transmission of our experiment in imaginary radio that we like to call TNA, the Tens and Aces podcast. Joining me on the show today is Blackjack player L.E.C. We'll go through his journey of him starting out playing as a lone wolf player to advancing on to team play. So if this is the kind of thing you want to hear, well listen up because we're about to give you some TNA. With me today is BGA Pro LEC. How you doing today, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm all right. I'm glad to have you on. So could you start with a little origin story, maybe? What got you into Blackjack? All that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. So I first got interested in Blackjack. I was maybe 13 or 14, and I watched 21 with my dad. And after the movie, I thought it seemed like the coolest thing in the world. And I asked him (laughs) if he knew how to play. And he said he did know how to play Blackjack, but he actually really didn't. But he pulled out a deck of cards and was dealing to me and there were no doubling. There was no splitting pairs. It was hit or stay, try to get to 21. I'm sure he was like hitting hard 17 and 18 as the dealer. It was fun nonetheless. I always remembered the movie and I remembered the game and I had bought the DVD at some point, would watch it every so often. And when I turned 21, I decided I would go to the casino and I I brought like 40 bucks with me or something. And I wanted to play blackjack, but it seemed like, you know, when you get to the tables for the first time, everybody seems like they know what they're doing and you feel like, a total noob and I was nervous, so I didn't play, but mm-hmm. I had gone back to the casino, I don't know, two or three times collectively. And on one of those trips, I did play blackjack and lost my $40 at a $5 table in like five minutes because I obviously had no idea what I was doing. When I went back to work that night, I was talking to some of my coworkers because they knew I went to the casino and they asked if I knew the book, which was basic strategy. And I had no idea what they were talking about, but they explained what it was. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, this looks really cool. So I started learning the game at that point and really just learning basic strategy. And I'd gone to the casino, I want to say like two more times after that, playing basic strategy, like f- decent basic strategy. I knew like like the hard totals and stuff. But mm-hmm. on the way home from one of those trips after losing another 60 or $80, I was driving and asked my best friend, I was like, you know, you think that card counting stuff works? Because, you know, it was, it's in a movie, but at the same time, I knew it was based on a true story. And he was like, oh, I have no idea. So I told him to Google it. From there, we found Blackjack Apprenticeship and we signed up for that mini course that has, mm-hmm. you know, a couple videos explaining what the game is, how it's beaten and the simple ideas behind it and how it actually isn't that hard. That night when we got back to my house, we pulled out a deck of cards and started trying to count through it. And he had a bit of a gambling problem. At the time, I didn't totally understand that it's hard to take somebody who's got a decent amount of gamble in them and teach them mm-hmm. to be a good Blackjack player like that. 
that. And I had never been much of a gambler. I mean, I'd been to the casino a handful of times, never bringing more than 40 or $50. And, and I was never that upset if I lost it. After that day, I decided to get the membership and really tried to, you know, I knew I was going to really do something with it. And I think he kind of knew too. And he did his best to try and he could play like perfect basic strategy, but he always played the side bets. And he always tried to learn to keep the count and he just couldn't do it. He couldn't count through the deck quick enough or keep up when somebody was dealing. And he hasn't been to the casino in a long time now. Thank God. But that's good. But, you know, when I started really practicing, I I think we both knew that I was going to do bigger things with the game. And he always was happy to hear about my stories and stuff as I was practicing. And eventually when I had started playing and we're still good friends now, but we don't talk too much about it. Right. Some people, they have a different goal. Their goal is to have fun. Our goal is to generate EV. And if funds had when we're generating EV, that's great. But that's not our goal when we're there, you know? Yeah. When I was even starting to play, he'd come with me a few times and, you know, I would consider it work and I would be working and he would still be playing and I would try and help him out and I'd be sitting out because it was negative and I'd be like, hey man, I'm like maybe you should sit out a hand or two and he would crank up his bet instead. And I'm like, all right, you know, you're hopeless. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, it's hard. Someone who's got too much gamble and that's what they're there for. Yeah. I practiced at home. I dealt to myself a couple of shoes a day and I had Casino Verite. I had all the BJ training tools. I bought a ton of books and I want to say I practiced for about eight months or so before I finally decided I was going to go to a boot camp. So from the boot camp, I got tested out. I like very narrowly passed. I had gotten kind of nervous and dropped my count a little bit, but I, I ended up passing at the end of it. And from there, I started playing on a really small bankroll and proceeded to do my best to build it up with the games that I had. Awesome. And then somewhere along the lines, you joined a team. How did that come about? It had been, I had played a lot on my own. I mean, I guess it would depend on what you consider a lot, but I had been a solo player my entire time that I'd been playing. I had played probably 300 hours at my local casino. It was post-COVID. My local wasn't open yet, and I was playing other places. The games weren't as good, and I was just having frustrating results. And, you know, starting out with a $3,000 bankroll and building that up into the low to mid-teens, it's it's a frustrating spot to be at because you're generating decent EV, but it's still not a big enough bankroll where you can push out big bets around the realm of over two hands of 200 and have acceptable risk. So I find that above the two hands of 200 mark is where you start hitting the really good EV levels. And that's also where the real heat comes in. But mm-hmm. I've been trapped in that low teens to, you know, mid-level creeping up on 20,000. I'd been trapped in that for a long time. And I had actually hit 400 hours of play and I was break even at that point. And I was really, really doubting my play. I had met Nubs. Mm-hmm. I'd met him maybe eight or nine months before that point. And we talked on and off because we live in the same general area and mm-hmm. I reached out to him and asked him if he would test me out and we had had small talks about potentially me coming onto the team as a player at some point but having been 400 hours break even I was pretty much like yeah this guy's gonna never talk to me ever again because you know but I, I also didn't know at the time that he had had a 500 hour streak where he right. was actually in the red a little bit it's a bit demoralizing and I think had I not had good access to like blackjack apprenticeship and the forum I probably would have given up I think having access to 
mm-hmm. a lot of these other people's stories and knowing that plenty of people do go 300, 400, even 500 hours break even, you know, it helps to know that that's in the realm of possibility. At that 400 hour mark, Nubs tested me out. I passed his test out. There was another AP there who was a lot less table time, who was doing a test out at the same time. And I could almost feel it, the level of, you know, how much table time I'd had and how much more comfortable I was and better at catching payoff mistakes. And even though my results sucked at the end of that test out, Nubs asked me if I wanted team funds to go out and play that day, even though I'd never bet above two hands of, I think I bet two hands of 200 one time. And, you know, I'm pretty sure the expectation was at least I'd be betting two by 300 as my top Mm -hmm. bet. But even though I, my results were crappy, he believed in me. And from there, I've been playing with him since then. And it's been probably, I'm going to guess around like 120 to 150 hours that I've been playing with the team now. Right. Do you think your, your results in the test out were because you were nervous? I'm not totally sure, but you know, my personal results weren't great, but I was, I went into the test out with nubs still feeling fairly confident in my skills, just feeling bummed out that my results were what they were. But you know, he believed in me and subsequently, basically right after that point, I had the biggest upswing I'd ever had and hit an all time high. And now I'm kind of, I'm floating around that all time high at the moment, even though my mm-hmm. results sucked, I joined up with the team and I ended up having the biggest upswing I'd ever had. Do you still lone wolf on the side or do you got just whenever you play it's you're on the clock for the team how do you guys well, it's, work it's it basically anytime i'm out playing it's hours for the team and it depends when we're somewhere that's more than a few hours from home there's usually a couple of us out there we may not all be in the same casino but there's people in the area we don't really do any spot or BP stuff. We are just solo counters. So it feels much more like the lone wolf style, but you have the camaraderie of the team behind you. And, and the variance and the, the bankroll. Yeah. So there there would be some times when I would be playing certain casinos and I might meet a team member there to get team funds and then they'd leave and I'd be at, you know, between these two casinos for the next three days by myself. But, you know, the team is still just a text message away. And I still think the camaraderie and knowing that those people are there and rooting for you and there might be somebody else out playing another casino and it helps to know that even if you have a bad day and you lose a decent amount that somebody else is out there generating ev and it's all going to work out long term great i've dealt with teams before and sometimes the hardest part is you'll find guys that you know, the rules have to be clearly defined because I've been around situations where it's like when they lose, they're on team time. And when they're winning, well, they were lone wolf in that day. It has yeah, to be clearly no, that's, defined. Yeah, that's bullshit. I, but, you know. Yeah, oh, totally. That's like not cool if somebody was doing that. But I think it's fairly clearly outlined that when we're playing, it's, it's team time. And if somebody was going to be lone wolfing, it would be not involving team funds. It would be you'd be on your own trip. But I don't even think we've really had an instance of that happening. You know, for the most part, anytime we're going out to play, it's it's team time and we all want the same thing. We're all invested in the bankroll. So right. going out and playing lone wolf style for your own personal benefit, you know, really is actually probably going to hurt you more long term than anything. Yeah, totally understand, because if you're invested in that, you might as well grow your investment instead of doing a little side thing. Yeah. So do you have a nine to five? Yeah, I do. I'm a I'm a postal worker. So I'm you know, I work five days a week and it's what I've done for for a while now, five, six years. And I I don't necessarily enjoy it, but you know, it's a good job, good benefits, but I'm at a point in my life where I 
could go full time if I had the bankroll. And that was also a part of my motivation for joining the team was so I could have some more bankroll eventually to possibly go play full time. I'm okay with the idea of leaving my job to go play full time and do something that I really want to do. And I'm mm-hmm. still young enough that I could do something like that and not be considered a total screw up. You know, I could probably go get like a regular job again in a couple of years. It would be okay. But, you know, if I was in my mid to late 30s, I definitely wouldn't feel that way. Right. I understand completely what you're getting at there. Some people do bounce back and forth between full time and I have a little bit, mainly because of burnout on. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've, I've been on quite a few extended, not necessarily trips, but I've had, you know, we had a fairly large trip at the end of last month and I've had some other stuff going on at home where I've worked probably four days in the last, maybe more like five or six days in the last like four weeks. And like mm-hmm. each time I go back, I'm like, man, I really don't want to do this. And I would way rather be out playing and doing that with the team, whether it was with the team or on my own. I find that I enjoy playing blackjack and generating EV and beating the game in any way possible, whether it's counting or something else. I Every time I go back to my job, I'm a little more sick of it. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. continually leaning towards, I think I might end up going full time, maybe by the end of the year. But I said that last year. So we'll see, you know, every few months and I say, yeah, three months from now, then it gets pushed back for some other reason. Life gets in the way. Yeah. The freedom that the AP life offers is hard to beat, you know, pros and cons, but it's still not the same as having to get up and go to work, get up at five in the morning and go ahead into work and put your eight hours or whatever in, have a crappy boss that doesn't know what they're talking about and yep. uh, coworkers that are pain in the ass and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got it. I've got a pretty good setup. You know, my boss at my job really isn't that bad. He doesn't seem to care too much when I take basically like every other Friday off to go play somewhere just to get a head start on the weekend. He kind of, he kind of knows what I do. I don't think he gets it, but he doesn't care too much. He leaves me alone to go play. And I, I work with one of my best friends most of the time. So I've, you know, my work life isn't that bad. It's just more every time I go back in, I'm like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> right. You know, I, it's the longest I've been at one job as well, you know, and, and I'm young, but you no, know, I've been five, six years. I'm, you know, I'm bored, but I'm not going to get something this good career wise, having not gone to college, most likely. Right. For sure. Just out of curiosity, are you inside, outside postal worker? Do you like to deliver mail or are you like in the, like the, the warehouse or at the counter? I'm in the, or... wa- I'm in the warehouse. I work overnights. Oh, just sorting mail and stuff like that. Yep. Just do like processing. Working nights is how, when I started, how it worked out because I could only play grave shift and, pl- and that was the only time I could get $5 tables at my local casino was after I got out of work at between three and five in the morning. So mm-hmm. part of my beginning of my play was needing to find those lower minimum games games. And had I been getting out at five or 6 p.m. every day, I, you know, I would have been stuck playing 10 or $15 tables and, you know, just back counting constantly. But at least with a $5 table, I could start off on a fresh shoe and, you know, walk out at a true negative one and a half or something. Right. I always thought it was funny when, when I had a nine to five and I was doing the AP thing on the side, I'd make more like three, four hours that I made in like two weeks at my job. And I, you know, I had a decent paying job too. Uh, and it was, then I'd gone on Monday. I was like, what am I even doing here? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even, even yeah. before the team, I was still making significantly more than I was at my day job. Just the biggest thing was always having enough money set aside, feeling comfortable, you know, relying on advantage play for income. And then it wasn't long after that point when I started getting backed off places in my, in my market. And then that also mm-hmm. makes you think, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to have to start thinking about where am I going to travel and when to get these hours in for my, my job. 
you know, if that's what I'm going to do. And that changes things. I definitely think that changes things. Yeah, it's it's once you get backed off of your local area casinos, um, it makes it way tougher to do be a part time AP also because you have to plan. You can't just go, OK, I'm going to go play at XYZ Casino for an hour after work or two hours after work or whatever. Yeah, I mean, once I once my bankroll could handle 10 and 15 dollar tables and I was playing basically a 10 dollar unit at the time I was going to work like I was going to work at night and I would go to the casino in the afternoon, like three or four o'clock and play for like 90 minutes, basically like four days a week. And I was just in there all the time. But it was it was a great setup. And I, I got to play there a really, really long time, even when I was doing fairly aggressive spread, you know, one hand of 10 to two hands of 150. I ran that for a long time. I'm surprised they put up with me for as long as they did. Yeah, I had this place that I played out forever for years and years and years and years, like 15. And they finally wow. they finally backed me off um, just about a year ago now. I ended up getting backed off like the session after I put out two hands of 200 for the first time. So who knows that maybe that was the choke point and I just pushed it a little too far. They actually only flat bet me at table minimum, yeah. which was five or $10. They said, we're only going to, fl- we like you. You're welcome to come here, you know, with your girlfriend who likes to play and whatever. You can sit at the table and flat bet. And I'm actually friends with some of the staff that works there. So I was there playing one day and just talking to the floor and the dealer that I knew and they were giving me comped rooms still because wow. uh, from the previous year, my player's card had was the top tier. So I was using the, staying at the hotel there to play at a place that's like 25 minutes away that I don't play rated at because they have a good game. And so I was giving them a little action on the table, you know, just, you know, just betting table minimum. And then there's this guy betting 500 times two complaining about my play, right? Total ploppy, negative count. And it's it's a double deck game, but they allow mid entry. So I was coming in and out. I was only playing in positive counts or neutral yeah. count because that's the only it's thing. It's pretty I funny that they, they flat bet you, but would let you go in and out like that because you could feasibly just bet $10 only at positive counts. I mean, you were basically and they like still me. have a slightly positive game. It's not that much, yeah. but it still is. They won't worry about it. But yeah, you're right. Exactly. That's what I was doing and give them a little play for them giving me the hotel two nights and yeah. not just a, in a suite, actually. Um, so anyway, this guy is, starts complaining about my play, you know, because I hit my soft 18 against, you know, 910 or ace or whatever and stuff like the that. Worst. Yeah, I don't know how to play blackjack and I'm a broke son of a bitch. That's why I'm only betting $10. And finally, the dealer who's known me for years and years said, actually, this, he does know how to play this game. Rescue. The reason he's only betting $10 is because we won't allow him to bet any more than $10. <laughs> That's pretty funny. How'd that guy feel after that? Uh, he didn't really understand what the hell she was talking about. She's like, he's like, oh, whatever. But, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. I was like, yeah, thank you. I hope nobody heard that because uh, she might have gotten in trouble or something. But she just had enough of him yeah. constantly. You know how sometimes they constantly, it's oh, always somebody yeah. else's fault. They get a black jab. They're the most awesome player ever. But if they bust the dealers, the dealer's an asshole <laughs> or yep. dealer's terrible. You know, anyway, back to, back to your story. So you envision this being a long-term thing for you? Yeah, I mean, I think as long as the game is beatable, I'm going to keep playing. I, I enjoy playing. I, I like making money off the casinos. And I think it, it's been a lot of fun. It's been, there's nothing else quite like it. Recently, when I was on a, on a trip with the team, we were, um, we were at the top of a, uh, the stratosphere having a team dinner and you know i'm looking over all of las vegas and i'm mostly like the strip but i'm just sitting there thinking to myself i was like you know when i first got that membership a couple of years ago whenever it was you know i couldn't have imagined that this is where i'd be on a team betting black chips sitting at the top of the stratosphere it just seemed you know that moment i was like this is really cool you know not not most normal people don't get to experience something like this yeah you're literally sitting there with a team on the top looking 
down at all of Vegas. Yeah. Like, like a scene from a movie almost, right? Yeah, that was that was kind of what it felt like, you know. And the first time I went on a trip with the team, when, when I basically doubled my stakes overnight, the first trip I took with them, I went from having bet 2 by 150 on my own to two hands of 300 with them. And I started getting backed off and stuff. And I texted my girlfriend. She's like, it's in, it's like you're in one of your books. You know, she thought it was really kind of funny because I was like, I'd be texting her and be like, yeah, I just got backed off. I just got backed off again. And she was like, it's like you're in a book or a movie right now. And I was like, yeah, it feels that way. So she understands the, yeah. the whole. She's She's been, I've been with her for a long time, probably six years, seven years, maybe. So she was with me when I started doing blackjack and she's seen the natural progression and she, she has faith for the most part. You know, I, I think she, she likes the idea of me playing full time because I think she would like me being around more. And, but she also knows from, you know, she listens to the podcast sometimes with me and stuff. And mm-hmm. she thinks I'm a little too optimistic about, you know, how it's, it's such a grind for some people out there, but you know, I, it's not like I don't get it having put in over 500 hours. I know what it's like. Sounds like you have the the correct emotional approach to it. Cause I think that's probably honestly the hardest, not hardest, but the, the biggest determining factor of, of success is your mental attitude. Cause some people have a great game yeah, technically, but they just, they don't have the emotional makeup to, to do this. Cause you're yeah. going to get beat down. It's like if you're a boxer or something like that, or a pro athlete, you're going to go in slumps and some people just can't handle it. And I'm not saying that any judgment towards them. I'm just saying, and that's just, it's not their thing. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like from what I heard of you on Colin's podcast and what Nubs has told me about you and this, our conversation here and what I've read on the forum from you, that you definitely have the right attitude and approach. Yeah, I mean, I think you're having a, the right outlook is huge. You know, I see a lot of people on, not necessarily BJA, I feel like a lot of BJA people are fairly positive, even when they're getting their butts kicked. But, you know, you go on some of the discords and some of those guys are, so they just seem miserable. I don't even know why they're playing. I mean, given some everybody like handles misery. it differently. But, you know, I, I don't think I could handle the mental aspect of playing this game full time if I was miserable every single time I went out to play. Yeah, I go on a Reddit blackjack forum sometimes mainly to promote the podcast, honestly. But some people are on there like, I lost 200 bucks. They're on a ledge ready to jump off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Only they knew. Yeah. I've gone on that. I've gone on that Blackjack subreddit before. I had actually, there's, I won't say his name, but there's an AP who uh, I introduced to Blackjack Apprenticeship through that. I think he had played Blackjack at a casino and thought it was interesting. And I just shot him a PM and told him about BJA. And he's, he's, he's branched out into other plays by now, but he plays full time. He ended up like quitting his job. He made good amount of money playing Blackjack and then moved on to something else. And all because he decided to post something on, on the Blackjack subreddit. Yeah, I've, I've, converted quite a few people in there <laughs> to, to BGA members. At least that's what they tell me. Actually, my first conversation with Colin was actually on that Blackjack subreddit. Really? So, yeah. I've seen him on there before. I don't remember like what I saw him post, but I, I saw the username and I was like, oh, wait, that's Colin. Yeah, right. Yep, exactly. All right. That's the one thing I appreciate the most about the BGA membership is the forum and the networking. Yeah, I mean, the, the networking is huge. And I basically had alluded to this on Colin's podcast, but had I not been networked in BJA the way I was because the people that I met at my boot camp were the people that one I still talk to today. That's the one thing I always tell people that are going to boot camp. I'm like, talk to these people, get to know them because these are going to be the people that you hang out with. You know, and if you sit there and don't talk to anybody, it's a lot 
lot harder to get well networked because there was one AP that I met at my boot camp who, you know, I'm not going to name names, but we got we got coffee or something the day before boot camp. So we already kind of knew each other and then we hung out at boot camp and he was the one who got me introduced to Nubs on another Vegas trip. And right. from there, you know, having if I had not met Nubs, I wouldn't have eventually gotten on the team and I wouldn't be where I am right now. And who knows if I'd even still be playing. I might have eventually just said, you know what, 400 hours break even. This was fun, but I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm going to do something else. Best three grand you ever spent. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, for how much, even though I'd broken even at that point, I'd still enjoyed my time. So I wouldn't be like, you know, ready to jump off a cliff if I had decided that it wasn't for me 400 hours in. But, you know, having made the connections that I'd made has beyond accelerated my progress within Advantage Play into learning other games and joining this Mm -hmm. team and getting to the point where I'm getting on podcasts and things like that. You know, it's all because I stayed networked with people that I went to boot camp with and kept in touch. And, you know, here I am. I have not done a boot camp because I was probably starting out about right around the same time Colin was starting out. So, uh, but I'm, I've been thinking about maybe doing one just because just for the experience. I mean, I don't think I really, I think it's a, it's a cool experience. And I, I was at the last one. I was a very last minute, basically like the night before Colin said that, you know, he needed an extra set of hands to help deal. And I said, yeah, I'll go help. And, you know, to go there and see people again, it's, it's really cool. And then to see people going through the experience that I had, you know, and I thought, it was a great experience, you know, even though it's it's not cheap, but the people that pay that money are the people who take it seriously. Exactly. And seeing people make those connections like I did, you know, and I was telling people when I was there, you know, the same kind of thing, like the people I met, the people I talked to and hung out with when I was at boot camp are the people I'm still talking to now that have put me where I'm at. So don't don't slack. Go meet everybody. Like and, when I when I went to college, my first few semesters were you know, regular daytime college. Then I got a full time job and I went to night school two nights a week or I'm sorry four nights a week for like four hours after working all day and the people that were at night school most of them were paying their own way through and they had jobs and it was just a better environment period they were there to learn not to be not to screw around you know if if you know what I'm getting at here same kind of thing people at the BGA if you pay three grand to go to a boot camp you know that's an investment so you're going to be serious and everybody's going to be serious you know you're better involved with more serious people I mean another good example I have of that is in school, I was always a fairly smart kid, but I was I was in like the mid-level classes and I never did that well. And then eventually, you know, I, I wanted to step up to like honors level classes or AP, think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my teachers were like, well, you know, you have an 85. And I, you know, I finally had one teacher who believed in me enough that, I, you know, she knew I was good with writing and stuff. And she said, all right, well, you know what, you can give it a try. And I ended up getting like a 97 in honors all year. And I realized it was because I was in a class with people who just really didn't care. They were, you know, mediocre students. And when I went to a higher level class and I was with people who actually wanted to be there and gave a shit about the class, I was with some like-minded people and I did great. So then basically like my last couple of years of high school, I was in all honors and AP level courses and I ended Mm -hmm. up not going to college, but it was in that moment that I realized, you know, I do a lot better in an environment where people care about what they're doing. I I had the same thing with history. You know, I I had done honors English one year, then I went to my history teacher, said I wanted to go up to honors and, you know, 
know, he said the same thing. He said, well, you know, you have an 83 in this class. Why would I put you in honors? And they showed him what happened with English. And he was like, all right, yeah, sure. Well, we'll see. And then he taught the same class next year and same deal. I think I had like a, like a 98 or a 99 all year long. It was just like, you know, the flip of a switch. Hmm, that's interesting. And I think it definitely applies. The peer group matters completely. Yeah, definitely. Just, and I think that you could even extend that to the difference between like a forum like the Reddit Blackjack subreddit and versus the BGA forum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just I mean, those completely are completely like, different. I was say, those day. are like two different worlds. Oh, yeah. The people on the, well, again, people at the BGA forum, everybody's paid to be there. So yeah. there's very little trolling. People ha- have egos and whatever, but I mean, that's fine. You have to have a certain amount of ego just to do this. Yeah. First of all, some of those other forums are just a mess compared to BJA. Oh, yeah, completely. That's to me, that's the main value that and the networking that comes from that. So where do you see your game being in five years from now? Um, I think it's kind of hard to say because it's the scope of blackjack changes all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure five, 10 years ago, I think probably in the last five years, it hasn't changed very much. I think it's changed tremendously in some markets just in the last year since COVID. Yeah, I mean, COVID has made everything really crazy. But I think I'm trying to think more in a broader sense for blackjack in general. I mean, I'm sure 20 years ago, people didn't think that six to five was going to flood the strip the way it did. In my mind, I try to have a very open mindset for where the game might go and how I might need to adapt and you know who knows by this time two years from now everywhere might just end up being like europe they all go to csms and there's nothing we can do about it and we all have to move on you know that's one reason i like having some other things in in my pocket other games and other opportunities and you know i'm i think more than anything probably in the next five years i'm going to continue to try to learn as much as i can and adapt to blackjack as it changes you know for the last 15 years they've been talking about the game's going to die because of facial recognition because of software and all that kind of stuff they were saying it was going to die back in the 70s when they started bringing in shoe games compared to single deck strip rules yep we just keep adapting yep so it's like a i enjoy that cat and mouse part of the that's actually one of my favorite parts of the the whole thing for me is the whole cat and mouse thing yeah kind of like being a secret agent without getting shot at yep i like to look at it so do you have any stories or yeah one story that came to mind as i was brainstorming for a bit was when i was playing my local casino there were they i could never tell if they were clueless about advantage play or they just didn't care but it was in this one moment that i realized this one guy had no idea and i i'd been playing for a while i don't remember what my top bet was i'm gonna guess probably two by 75 two ends of 100 maybe and mm-hmm. i had been back counting a shoe and i i ended up the everybody left the table and it was like a true one and so i just i sat down and i was like you know i'll just leave if it goes poorly but it ended up being pretty good and I, I ended up putting out max bets that shoe and floor guy came over and during the shuffle he was like he's like you know I really like the way you play and I so I was just kind of asked him what he meant and he was like well I don't know I just see you you know you you're walking around this place and it's like you know you you watch a game for a minute you pop in you bet you seem to do pretty good and you move on I like it and I was like wow this guy really has no <laughs> idea <laughs> and and I was like, yeah, was he, you know, being, I, was he being he was, was genuinely he, he was like a nice guy, younger guy. And he genuinely was just being like, yeah, you know, I just I like the way you play. And, you know, he was always like making small talk with me and stuff. So I, I the way he was saying it, I was like, wow, he genuinely thinks that I just play blackjack this way and like has no idea what I'm doing. I could I could tell in his voice that he didn't know. And hmm. that that's a funny one to me. You know, that is funny. The, the compliment on my back counting and wonging. And he had no idea. So you must have some other stories. 
one that comes to mind is my local casino for a long time. The game was okay. It was it was just kind of what I had. It was what I had access to, and it's what I played. And it was mm-hmm. six decks, hits off 17. You could double after split, but no surrender. And they usually cut off like a deck and a half. You could find a deck on a good day. And so I was playing one day, and this must have been, I think I had a two hands 150 top bet at this point. I must have. And I was sitting there playing, and the, the shuffle comes, and I'm sitting there. You know, I pulled back my two hands of 150, and I slide out $10, and I'm waiting for the shuffle, and the floor guy comes over, another younger guy, and he tells the dealer, he's like, oh, don't forget the new policy. And she's like, oh, yeah, what was that again? And I'm like, he's like, cut off half a deck. And I'm sitting there at third base, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, is this real? And so then I'm like, <laughs> I asked him, I'm like, I'm like, oh, what are they doing that for? He's like, oh, I don't know. We got some new director of table games, and this guy seems to really know what he's talking about. And he's like, yeah, we're cutting off half a deck on every blackjack table now. And and I just kind of, I said something else kind of like, oh, you know, I guess if he really knows what he's talking about. And, you know, the floor guy was like, yeah, he seems like a nice guy. And then he walks away and the dealer's like, she's like, yeah, it doesn't matter unless you count cards anyway. And so then in that moment, I'm like... (laughs) I was like, oh, like the stuff from that movie. And and I kept being, I kept trying to just play dumb because I couldn't tell if she was just new enough to know that deeper penetration is good for card counters or if she was on to me. So I went on this big thing about how I was like, oh yeah, the, the team from Harvard. She was like, I think it's MIT. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And I sat there and I argued with her for like five minutes. <laughs> That's just awesome, dude. I love it. kind of stupid. But she ended up, I think she just knew enough to know that that was a good thing for card counters. But that's, in that moment, I was like, wow. You know, I just went from having like a really crummy game that I'm already doing a one to 30 spread on to this crummy rules, but dealt down to half a deck. And there oh. were some dealers that I could find that were cutting off like 18 cards. I'll take a game like that over one that has like 0.3 or less, but weak pen any yeah. day of the week. Oh, absolutely. And it pen is king. Pen around per hour. Of course you know yep. that. But yeah. yeah. There was there was one time not long after that policy change there was a new dealer who I was playing with a lot on Graveshift because she was she was really new and she made payoff mistakes all the time and it was basically in the span of one session she had uh she I was playing alone with her so she was cutting it really thin like it was excessive and it was some people ended up sitting down at the table and we hit the last round of the shoe you know she dealt one card and the cut card came out and there were like four people at the table total and I th- you know both her and I were kind of nervous because we knew she'd been dealing it really deep. And by the end of the round, you know, every she busted, everybody everybody wins, and she pulls the cards out. There's like four cards left in the shoe. It was unreal. And I could tell <laughs> she was like really nervous and like looked around to make sure nobody saw. And then like later in that session, you know, same thing. She was dealing it super deep. I was heads up. I had max bets out. I had, I don't remember if I had like a 20 or a blackjack on one hand and a 17 on the other. And I, I must have had a 20 because I think I stood and then I stood on my 17 and she dealt me a card. And it was a three. And, you know, we both just kind of sat there and looked at it. And I kind of looked at her and I looked back at the cards and she was like, oh, my God, you, you, you waved that off. And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. And she's just looking at it. And, you know, I'm like, can I keep it? And she turned around. No one was there. So she flipped her whole card. She had 19. So that was another nice little <laughs> bonus of playing with her. She eventually cleaned up everything and stopped making mistakes like that. But she was great for a while when I was on that small bankroll and I had somebody who would deal ridiculously deep and make mistakes like that. And anytime it was not in my favor, I made sure to correct her. And any other time I just I sat there. For sure. I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about the morality of, you know, letting a dealer mispay you. 
And they were talking about craps, but still, mm-hmm. it still applies. And my thought on that is there, I'm sure there are times where it's in a house's favor where they screw up where I don't catch it. I try yeah. to catch it, but I'm sure there's ones I miss. So I don't feel at all guilty about not calling them. I used to waffle back and forth on that because, you know, I try to yeah. be a good person, but it's not my job. It's their job. Yeah, there, there are some times that, you know, you might have to make a judgment call. I mean, if it's your local casino and you know, maybe you've been getting some extra attention that session. You think you might buy yourself some goodwill pointing out the mistake. You know, that's a decision to be made. There was one time I corrected a mistake. I was playing, I was playing somewhere else and I've been playing with the team at this point. I was, I had max bets out. This casino saw like decent action, but you know, I was besides my other teammates, we were the biggest bettors in the room. Everybody else was betting like 25 bucks. I had two by 300 out. And this girl that was dealing to me, it was like her second day. And I could tell she was nervous because I was betting that big. And she went to pay me on a, with a $300 bet out in green. And the pit boss was watching the whole thing to like make sure she didn't make mistakes. And I I corrected her because I was, you know, I thought maybe I'd buy myself some goodwill with this guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he said, he came over and said, oh, thanks for being honest about it. And I said, well, yeah, you know, she's, she's new. She's going to make mistakes. It happens. And I colored up after that shoe and walked away. And one of my teammates was like, yeah, that guy was like pointing right at you as soon as you walked away. And then like security was hassling me for ID like five minutes later. So it didn't really matter. You know, he was going to get me either way, I guess. But I'd been hopeful that by being nice, he might leave me alone but I was wrong. I've, yeah, I've had, uh, I've had dealers get, you could tell they were annoyed that I pointed out their mistake. Like they just wanted to ignore that it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or floors like don't want to deal with it sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I had one one time that was, uh, it was a hard one to fight because I had, uh, I was playing and I, I had doubled down and I watched, you know, I was watching the dealer deal and just like something funny happened with the shoe. Like when she went to reach up and she pulled the, the second card out and it was totally on accident you know I could just tell it was when she reached over she had pushed the first card up and ended up grabbing the one underneath instead of the one on top honest mistake but she dealt me the wrong card Mm -hmm. and I I said something and the floor came over and like they didn't believe me and I was and I'm like well it's it's so hard because it's you know even if they look at the cameras and they look from top down the only way they're gonna know is and maybe if they get the right angle on I knew I saw it and it and I think I only fought it because I got something stupid I got like a two on a doubled 11 and I was annoyed and the next card out was like a three uh, like the next card was a three so i would have gotten the three anyway so i just kind of i ended up giving up on that one because they like didn't believe me Which, i guess that seemed like way too much of a shot taker yeah but i don't understand why casinos you I mean if you if a guy is constantly known as a shot taker i get it but why don't they just just go with it and because yeah, they gotta know, slow somebody, the game down stop the game pull the paddle and then yeah, especially they're where, so you know, i was there every day everyone knew me by name you know i was super friendly you know it wasn't like i'd never caused a problem before and even then, you know, they still send me mailers for slot play and stuff. Now I'm still welcome there, just not on tables. But have you ever got a uh, I've gotten letters from a place that trespassed me uh, from because apparently the slot club doesn't talk or the promotions department doesn't talk to the table games department like a hundred dollar free play on a slot. Hey, we've missed you. <laughs> yeah. Come no, back. Actually, as I say, I haven't been trespassed from anywhere yet. Just kind wow. of luck of the luck of the draw, I guess. I've had back offs, but no trespasses. And then it's interesting. My local casino, I told another AP to check it out because the game was, you know, it was same thing, you know, crappy rules, but they're dealing it super deep. Go hit it. He played there three times. I think he ended up getting backed off on his third trip. And then they trespassed him by mail, even though he only ever gave his passport. They like figured out his address and trespassed mm-hmm. him. Yeah. My, my friend, when I got that offer, hey, we missed you at the place where I was trespassed. 
podcast. Um, he's like, actually, you should go there and bring that with you. And then if they try to arrest you, you can you have plausible denial bill. Like, hey, I thought it, you guys are welcoming me back. Look at this. I have this letter right here. This, you know, this yeah. mailer that says, hey, we missed you. Come play. <laughs> What's something that you would tell a newer player that you wish that they somebody had told you before you started? Negative counts matter way more than you think they do. I when I was newer into playing, you know, I was my EV was probably somewhere in the realm of fifteen bucks an hour doing like a two by thirty top bet, probably even less than that. But I was so dead set on, you know, I had to drive up to the casino. I'm not making a ton of money EV wise, so I have to play for X amount of hours to feel like I've made the trip worth it to me. And I might be willing to play heads up just to get the hours in and I wasn't making up for it in my spread. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. new I was newer and I did I think I really didn't know any better. But you know, looking back on it, that definitely probably contributed to the 400 hours break even point. And I think had I been more aggressive about back counting and wonging in, I probably would have done better in those first however many hundreds of hours. And so you were focusing on hours, not not the quality of the hours. Yeah, it was, you know, I was more focused on time, not positive time, basically. And, And it was it was a weird, it was a tough thing for me, because I, you know, I just felt like I've driven all the way up here. And now I'm, I want to play, I'm trying to play. And, you know, there's, there's two tables open, the, the counts tanked on both of them, they only shuffle on request and high limit. So I just got to stand around and wait for them to eventually shuffle or, or I'll just play through it. And, you know, if I was doing one hand of five to if I had the bankroll to go to two hands of 50, instead, you could probably negate that that loss in EV of doing the play all that that'd be different. But I, I didn't have the bankroll for it. And playing on such a small bankroll, I probably skyrocketed my risk as well. And I wish that mm-hmm. as much as I, I think deep down, I did know, I, I wish somebody else had been there to be like, Hey, listen, dude, like back up, you're here to play positive rounds. You know, if that means you stand around and play seven hands today, that's what it is. You know, this is a long-term game. And mm-hmm. so that's something I would definitely pass on to somebody who's newer or maybe playing on a smaller bankroll, focus more on the positive hands and less on how many hours you're playing or how much, you know, you think you have to play to make it quote unquote worth your time. Yeah. Focus on protecting your bankroll at that point. Yeah. And as, as my bankroll grew and I was steadily able to play a one to 20 spread, regardless of if I had a five or $10 betting unit, then it was different. I was definitely willing to play heads up and just crank through it and play really fast. And towards the end, I was, I was doing one hand of 10 to two hands of 150, and I would play heads up as long as possible because I knew I could play 200 rounds per hour. And at that point, I, I felt like a one to 30 spread with half a deck cut off was probably okay to do a play all with if it meant I could play 200 rounds per hour. Hell yeah. Yeah. And even then, there was one day, basically the last day right before COVID shut everything down, I had gone to the casino to play and it was a Saturday. All the tables that were, would be open on a Saturday were open, but like nobody was there. So it was a $5 minimum everywhere. So I did one hand of five to two hands of 150 all day, just like leaving it a true negative one, fresh you, fresh you, fresh you. That was like the funniest day I've ever had with like the biggest spread I'd ever ever run. They didn't want to kick out their one player. <laughs> nope. No, they waited till after COVID. Yeah, right. When I was actually technically playing a tighter spread because every table was a 25 minimum. Well, I think that about wraps up this episode of the Tens and Aces podcast. You can always reach out to the show at area code 518-289-0478. That's area code 518-289-0478. You can leave a voice message that we might play in the show, or you can send a text. You can also reach us at tens and aces, the number 21 at gmail.com. That's tens and aces, 21 at gmail.com if you'd like to send us an email. But wait, there's more. 
The show website at, redundantly enough, tensandaces.com is now live. We have links to episodes on there, ways to contact us. It's a work in progress, but eventually I'm going to have blogs on there and other things like a glossary of terms that we talk about on the show that I get emails about from people asking what we're talking about. Because sometimes when some of us get talking, we forget that not everybody knows what N0 is and what this, that, or the other is. So I was thinking it might be helpful to get a section with glossary terms for the things that we talk about on the show for people who just don't know. Because, hey, you don't know till you know, right? Well, anyway, thanks for coming on the show, LEC. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on. And thanks to all you for listening, and I'll see you down the felt. Here's a few messages from our sponsors. Find your paradise. Go to visitlasvegas.com. By the fact that you're listening to a podcast about blackjack and advantage play, it's clear that you're interested in this topic and most likely interested in becoming the best blackjack player you can become. Now, I suppose there are exceptions to this. Like, for example, maybe you're an uninterested significant other trapped in the car listening to this. Or maybe you're a kid trapped in the car forced to listen to this because your phone is dead and you can't tune out the world with your headphones in like you normally would. And by the way, kids, I apologize for all the F-bombs that I've dropped on this show. Please don't follow my example. Or maybe, just maybe, you don't like money and you want to continue to play blackjack and not make your game better. If you happen to fall in any of those categories, by all means, tune out and don't listen to a word that I have to say right here. But if you want to learn how to be the best blackjack player you can be, learn and grow your game, I suggest you check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. They offer what is, in my opinion, not only a world-class education on the game of blackjack, but the absolute best education you can find anywhere for this game. They offer online training drills, a supportive community, as well as other exclusive tools that are critical to your success. Even if you already know the ins and outs of this game and don't really need the training they offer per se. That's great. I'm kind of in that boat myself and I imagine there are several others of you that are as well. So even for people like us, just the opportunities and networking alone that this site offers is worth the price of admission and then some. I also can't stress enough that it is a wonderful and supportive community of other APs. There is almost no trolling in the forums there. So once again, I urge you to check out blackjackapprenticeship.com if you're serious about growing your game. My name is Scott McGrath. The day before my eighth birthday, I fell in a pile of fire ants and suffered significant wounds on over 70% of my body. Since that day, I have made a solemn vow to kill every insect on planet Earth. I hate them with the passion of a religious zealot. Speaking of religion, of all the biblical plagues, I hate the locust plague the most. For the last 12 years, my white-hot rage has materialized in the form of my business, McGrath Pest Control. I have harnessed this unforgivable intolerance of insects and released the wrath of my fury on bugs in and around the homes of Houston. I will kill those bugs in any way that I can. Chemicals, my boot, my bare fist, or any other object that can end the life of an insect. Call 281-469-8240 and give me the honor of killing bugs at your house. 
I also hate rats and spiders. Go to McGrathPestControl.com. track put it all on a horse why don't you put it in the bank bank this is found money i want to parlay it i want to make a big score oh you mean you want to lose it